Bibles to Judges chapter 7, please. Judges chapter 7. We'll continue our series on the life of Gideon. And the theme of this that we've been kind of just mulling over time and again is just how God is concerned with each and every one of us. What he sees in your life and mine is he sees the potential. Where we tend to judge a book by its cover. You remember when uh, the prophet Samuel was led to the house of Jesse and they didn't even bring in David from the field. They had David's brothers pass before Samuel and when Samuel saw, the, I think he was the eldest, Eliab, and man, I, he was a good, handsome, strapping lad is what I'm thinking. Because what Samuel say? Surely this is God's anointed. Well, they thought so highly of Eliab and the family thought so, thought so lowly of David. He was still, I mean, he was just, eh, you know. They didn't even consider to bring him in, but that was the whom, that was whom God wanted to be king. Why? Because man looketh on the outward appearance, and God looketh upon the heart. So, whatever your potential is here today, what I want you to see is that God is concerned with each and every one of us. He sees great potential, because what happens is if we trust him in salvation, and then live by him, in him, and for him, will be so much more than we would be without him. And what's amazing to me is what people are able to do without God. I think of those that in a, in a profession or uh, whether it's sports or even academia, you know, just what people can do with their, their minds without God. Yeah. And we say, wow, look, you know, and rightly so. But what if they believed in the Lord? And lived for him. How much more would they be? Because no matter what you achieve in this life. If you don't achieve Christ. If you don't have Christ. You will never feel fulfilled. And definitely you will not be fulfilled. As you transition to the next life. So there's this man Gideon. God finds him. No, God knew where he was. We say God finds Gideon out behind the wine press. Bitter, some problems in his life. But then God begins this journey. And Gideon's faith was not anything to write home about, was it? I mean, it's not like George Mueller. We hear of George Mueller. And uh, he had uh, hundreds of orphans. And he never asked anyone for money. He would always just pray. And people all over London would feel, or or Bristol, England, uh, would feel just impressed to do something, to either give money or give food or give this and that, and it was just always right on time. So when I think of faith, I think of someone like that, and, you know, just great faith is, it, it, you can see it. I wouldn't, I don't think it would be, uh, pressing or pushing to say that Gideon's faith wasn't much to write home about. So, what about your faith? Where do you fit in? 
You know, is it, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But, so it's got substance. There's evidence to it. You can see it. I mean, it's, it's there. It's substantial. Is your faith that way? So that's what I want you to see as we look through Gideon's life and how that uh, last time we looked at him in uh, the end of Judges 6 and how that he was throwing the fleece out and then uh, uh, the beginning of Judges 7, how that his army now is going the wrong way. Rather than being recruited, people are being released. And if you've ever worked in a... Uh, a setting to where that, hey, we need more people. And when you see people leaving, it's kind of discouraging. It was very discouraging. So you see people walking out the door and it's like, why? God was concerned that people would take credit. In Judges 7, verse 2, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves up against me. That's all of our hard attitude is to take credit about either promotion or our health or just, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday. They're, they're just discouraged. And, you know, sometimes waking up in the morning is, is a battle. In other words, to, to face the day. Yeah. Is, and if we're all honest, it, it's that way for all of us. But sometimes the battle is so fierce that you just want to just throw in the towel. And if you've ever been there, you know what I mean. Some people are just, they wake up in the morning and, woohoo, you know, look, you know, it's great. God's good. Other times, I mean, for other people, it's like to get there, it, that's going to take a little while. Or... Just it's, it's our mindset of trusting the Lord, casting your care upon the Lord before your feet even touch the ground out of your bed. So our tendency is to take the credit of God's working in our day and say, look what I've done. The sense of accomplishment rather than say, God, praise the Lord, look what you did. Right? And I just look at you and all the people that are here today and I see, look what God has done. But I just want you to consider, what more does God want to do in your life, in my life? Because God wants to do more. May we not hog any of the credit. So now this brings us to the place in Judges 7. We'll be in verses 9 through 15 where Gideon's faith just needs that one last nudge. And then it's like a snowball effect to where that... Okay, God's in it. And it's like every one of us have had this point in our life, either in salvation or in uh, just everyday service, is that, look, I don't understand, but I'm just going to trust God. Look, God, I don't see you, but though you slay me, yet I will trust you. So there's this spirit and this attitude that Gideon is learning, and it's by the school of hard knocks, and... Uh, it's a good lesson to learn. So Judges 9 or 7, we'll read verses 9 through 15. In Judges 7, 9, it says, And it came to pass the same night 
that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Fura, or Fura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Fura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay alongside the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian. And it came into a tent and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay long. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so that Gideon, or when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped. So in other words, it's settled, let's go. Yep. That he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. I want you to see three things from this passage here. First of all, that fear opposes faith. Fear opposes faith. Number two, that there is already fear in the camp of Midian. So there's already fear there. All it takes is one little last nudge. One little. So where you have the faith of Gideon is increasing, and then also in the camp of the enemy, the fear is increasing. So you either have fear or faith. You can't have both at the same time. You only have so much room, in essence. So there's fear in the camp, and then finally he becomes fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Now, there's a saying that this world has not seen a man or a woman or a boy or a girl 100% fully persuaded that Jesus died for them. What do I mean that by that? Stay tuned. All right. First of all, fear opposes faith. Verse 10 says, But if thou fear to go down, go thou with fear. I can't say it today. Fura. There it is. Thank you. Fura, thy servant, down to the host. So fear opposes faith. This man has been with him, this Fura, since the grove. He's a servant of, of Gideon, and so he's been along the whole time. So even though Gideon was alone behind the wine press, who's he grab? His servants. So they go and burn down the grove, and they break the altar, and then they build an altar for God in its place. That's called replacement theology. <laughs> no, not what I call it. You've got you to put something in its place. I believe that's Ephesians 4, where... You tear down, you got to put something in its place. That's where you, you build good habits. Let him that stole steal no more. Get a job and then give. God says, oh, okay. If you're a liar, tell the truth, God says. Don't gossip. Wow. So this mouth can be, rather than tear down, it'll build up. God can do that. So this man... 
Hoorah. Sounds like a, a military. See, the, the army says hoorah. Right? Let's go and charge that hill. Hoorah. They just, yeah, that's... I was stationed with the army in, in Iraq. and uh, Different breed. Army, or Air Force is like, where's our hotel? Yeah, okay, where's the Holiday Inn? You know, while the other branches are staying in tents, you know, we're like room service. So get it, they're, they're at a place to where that, okay, the mission is about to kick off. But now you need to, do, okay, God, are you really here? Well, this man, Fora, is just right where God would have him to be. He, God knew his heart. God knew that, hey, he was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Could God use you to plug you in in the moment? This person needs this. You know, recently I, I just felt impressed to go talk to somebody. Do you know what? It was weird. And I'm like, oh, okay. Do you know it was right on time for them? See, God wants us to be usable in the moment, not to be uh, on the shelf. My, one of my little girls was singing a song while they were doing a, a kitchen cleanup. And empty for a vessel ready to be used. Empty, clean, and ready. So this man, he was ready to be used. And so his faith was also ready to be used. His, his attitude was, okay, just like Caleb and, and, uh, Caleb and Joshua. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, we're well able to do this. We're well able. Everyone else is down in the mouth, but no, we are well able. God is with us. So what type of spirit are you? Do you have a spirit of, blah, blah, you know, just complaining and, you know, just, well, if you complain a lot, you know what you'll think about is the negative side of things. Yeah. And if you seek to see God and, and, and you bring into captivity those things that, that are, are sad and, and critical all the time, you're going to begin to not think that way. And you'll say, wow, look, God is good to look on God's side of things. So you're one of the 300, and you're seeing 135,000, and you just see God. That's the difference between Gideon seeing the whole elephant. And it's just like, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Take thy servant, Fura, and he'll go with you. What a friend. What an encourager. May we be that to each other in the church. Amen. God knew what was going on in Fura's heart, his life, and, but are you a Fura? I read a story about a man by the name of Desmond Doss. It's from World War II. He was, uh, uh, he was a religious man. I won't go into his, his background, but you can look it up if you want to. But Desmond Doss was a uh, conscientious objector. Now, there's different levels of a conscientious objector. Uh, the extreme level is that uh, 
They feel that they can't bear arms and kill. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. They inert mindset. Uh, the conscientious objector won't do anything. Won't be a part of the military or whatever. But then there's a kind of a, the other extreme, you know, the kind of a light conscientious objector, where somebody will go into battle. They just won't carry a weapon. Right? So there's this fellow, Desmond Doss, during World War II. He was a conscientious objector. He wanted to, but he wanted to uh, go to battle for his country. He wanted to uh, basically be a combat medic. Mainly what combat medics do is that they wear, you know, the, the cross on their helmets and on their arm, and then they rush into battle. Most of them are armed with a 45 during World War II. 45 caliber pistol. He said no. So for two years of training, the army said this. You're worthless. I'm not going to go into battle with you if you don't carry a gun. This is a war. And he battled time and again with his, his peers, but also his superior officers, to the point where they wanted to kick him out. Well, they were unable to do it and whatnot. And so his one uh, superior uh, made his life miserable. Always giving him the worst of the worst details and whatnot. I mean, like cleaning the latrines all by yourself on your hands and knees. I mean, it's just not, not ideal. But you know what? He kept going. And his hazing was so bad that um, uh, Desmond's brother was about to be deployed also. And uh, he could go home. He was due for uh, to be able to have leave and liberty. But his captain said, no, not for you. So he wasn't able to see, see his brother before he shipped out. Now, okay, so that's two years. Then finally the, the division gets... Uh, transferred to the Pacific. And then they go to Guam, Philippines, and they end up on Okinawa. But beginning in Guam, people began to see something different about Desmond. Where that, when there was a retreat called, if there was any injured on the, on the field of battle, there'd be bullets and, and uh, grenades and explosions and artillery and mortars and, no, he wouldn't retreat. If there was an injured person, he would crawl on his, on his face almost and drag them back. Amen. So the people that he began, he began to get a lot of respect. The very people that hated him and made his life miserable, he, he, would rest, he rescued so many people. So then they battled through the Philippines and, and it was awful. Again, when everyone else was done trying to stabilize and, and uh, drag injured back. Now, he was a slight fellow. He, was only, he wasn't tall, and he, he was very, very thin, about 150 pounds. And he would drag uh, guys bigger than him in their gear. He could grab by their neck, collar, their harness, and pull them. So... They start treating him differently. Why? Because now his faith 
can be seen. Yeah. So now it builds up to this point of um, Okinawa. Now, Okinawa is a southern island in Japan, so now it begins the invasion of Japan. And the Japanese were, they didn't surrender. It was to the point to where that if they were going to be taken uh, captive as prisoners, they killed themselves. So they fight to the death. Well, in the southern part of Okinawa, there was a ridge, uh, a hill with, um, that was built defensively uh, to where that you had to take that ridge. They called it Hacksaw Ridge. I guess there was a movie made about it. But this, this Hacksaw Ridge, now, in order to get up it, you had to scale, I think it was about 15 or 20 foot of rock face. Well, they didn't know how to, to get up it. So one of the, there was three volunteers. You know who one of them was? Was Desmond. He climbed up and secured netting so that his division and the platoon that he was in specifically can climb up to get up on top of that ridge. So in about seven or eight days, the army tried to take that ridge. I think it was nine or ten times in seven or eight days. And every time they get up, then the Japanese would mow them down. So time and time and time and time again. So then it came down from on high. We have to take that ridge. So no matter the cost. So Desmond goes up with him and 150 men. Do you know how many came down? 50. So everyone retreated, and there's 100 men, either wounded or dead, on top of that hill. Everyone else retreated. So for the next 12 hours, the 150-pound Desmond Doss, amidst the Japanese, were, were trying to kill him. And later on, Japanese army men said, we tried to kill him, but our guns would jam. He's, it's estimated that he saved upwards of 75 men, where he would stabilize them, get the bleeding to a point to where he could move them, then he would drag them, and then lower them down that 15 or 20 foot rock face by hand, all by himself. 12 hours of this. It's amazing. To, why? Just faith. He was going off of faith. And mind you, he, is, he doesn't have any weapons. He's not armed. And the story goes this. He said, he says, he was praying the whole time. Lord, just help me save one more. Give me one more, Lord. One more. And the men that he saved and those very people that hazed him and put him down for two years, they say this now today, especially afterwards, to go into battle armed only with your faith is amazing. So when you think of Gideon and Fura, you know, Gideon's not armed with very much faith, but Fura was. So 
Desmond Doss, I think four days after that battle for Hacksaw Ridge, they still hadn't taken it. Well, he was, uh, there was, they were in a battle. He was wounded in his leg. And so uh, he was being literally carried out in the middle of the battle. And you know what? He sees a man that got, uh, who's injured in his head. So you know what Desmond did? He rolled off the litter. Goes and treats him, and now he's he's injured himself. Goes and treats the man, and then says to the litter bearers, "You take him back and come back for me." Five hours later, he was hit uh, by a sniper in the arm, just really messed him up. And at that time, he lost his Bible. He had a pocket Bible that basically was his crutch. He said. That got him through those nasty two years of training. That got him through Guam and the Philippines and now Okinawa. He lost his mind. So by the time he gets to the hospital ship Mercy, his squad mates hear about this. And this just this part of the story be, makes me think of the men, the mighty men of David, who when David said, Oh, that I would have a, a drink of the well of Bethlehem. They hazarded their life to go get him some water, a cool drink. His squad mates went back into the, uh, the teeth of the battle and found his Bible. So that's what faith does. Faith turns our enemies to become our friends. Although people might not respect us at the time, they might not understand or what? Just live by faith in God. And you know what will happen? Is it's just a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. People see that. People are, they saw his faith. And there's a documentary. It's called Conscientious Objector. It's a, it's free online. You can watch it. Just, you can Google it. And it's, uh, I think it's about an hour and a half. And it details his life. And that's the same way. Desmond Doss went into battle not armed, but by his faith. So now you have 300 men ready to go against 135,000. But if you're armed with faith in God, you win. God's for them. God's with them. So it's going to take just this nudge to get past this, uh, to get past the numbers, to get past how it looks, how it feels. So then God says, look, if in, verse, um, in verse 10, if thou fear to go down. And Gideon's like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> so verse 11, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened. God knew what it would take to encourage Gideon to push him past that hump, to get over his lack of faith, his fear. So verse 13 says, And when Gideon was come, so they come down the hill, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. Isn't that interesting how it just so happened that this conversation gets picked up right at the time? It's a coincidence, don't you think? No, this is just God working. Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, 
And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian. So this cake of barley bread, um, basically, it's something that's so small and insignificant. Barley is like, blah, you know, there's no flavor. It's uh, a small cake of barley bread. It's, it's insignificant. And it's as though this cake, you know, if you rolled a cake of this little loaf down the hill, would it destroy a tent? Would it take the, and, and the, the way that, uh, I wonder if it's assumed here that the leadership of Midian, you know, because generally they're, they're going to be in the middle of the camp, right? So, and the less uh, important, the normal grunts are going to be ringing them about. It's called a meat shield. <laughs> this is what the army looks at it. It's called meat shield. So the, it's as though this barley bread tumbled down a hill and just take out the command. What's the likelihood of that? Not so much. But there's already this fear that's there. It's this, uh, uh, this dread. It says in, in verse 14 that, And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for unto his hand hath God delivered Midian. And all the host. So, everybody. So the battle's already uh, begun. And yet, Gideon's wondering, what do I go? Do, you know, it's only 300. Well, God's already doing the work. Because remember, God was going to buy my hand. It's already working. See, when God calls us to do something, we don't know what else, he, what else he's done. If You know, I want you to go and talk to this person. And you just say, well, they don't know me or whatnot. I was talking to a man yesterday, and uh, uh, I had purchased a uh, USB hub off his grandson. And uh, he said, uh, they found another one. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take that one too. He said, you really made an impact on my grandson. I'm like, oh? He said, yeah, I, he, he's really talking and interested about coming out. Amen. So I said, hey, praise the Lord. I didn't realize. And then the grandfather told me a little bit about what's going on in the grandson's life. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But it was right on time. Yeah. See, that's God. Yeah. How could we take any credit for that? And then so then I, I asked granddad, I said, so what about you? You know, and, and he said, no, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't, in essence, I don't have any room for God. Yeah. That was really sad to me. But again, the Lord brought me there. And the Lord does that for you, for all of us. Brings us to a place to either talk to somebody, do a, do a certain thing. It's right on time. And God's doing all kinds of work in the background. I, I just, I marvel at this. All it would take to kindle the flame of fear was just a kernel of faith. A kernel of faith, just this small, tiny mustard seed. And look, the, the battle's pretty much already won. All it's going to take is for 300 men to just obey. That's all it's going to take. 
break their pitchers and blow their, their trumpets, their ram's horn trumpets. It's all it's going to take. And then Midian's going to just start destroying themselves. But the battle, the battle's here. Where is it? It's in us. The battle is by faith. We wrestle not against principalities. And, and think, in essence, things we can see. It's things we can't see. There's, there's a, a, a spirit in this world that tries to get us to think and feel a certain way. But then there's also our own flesh that thinks and feels a certain way and is very self-serving. Our flesh is anti-God. So to go from the fleece to go from destroying the altar and building one for God and then to, you know, all the way back to him uh, fussing at Christ for seeing, calling him a mighty man of valor. God's brought him a long way. Yeah. In a really long time. It's been about 15 years, right? <laughs> no. I'm sure getting it feels like 15 minutes. Yeah. Not a very long time. So, where's your faith at? Generally, what happens after salvation, there's a huge growth. There's a, there's a hunger and thirst for God. But what is our tendency? To grow cold, slack off, to get used to what we have. So there's fear in the camp, and then last for today... Gideon becomes fully persuaded. Verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped. So I find this amazing. Did he go back up the hill and worship? No. He snuck down in the camp. He worshipped right there. Yeah. Praise God. Now we were talking in Sunday school this morning. You don't find the worship of God very often in the book of Judges. So you start in Judges 1, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It gets bad in 1. And just... You don't see very much after this that a man worships God properly. But he worshiped in the midst of the enemy. Why? He's fully persuaded. He's like... Oh, it's... So Desmond Doss... You know, the, what he, the way he says it is, God called me not to take life. He called me to protect it. That's what he said. Now, the Bible actually does talk about how that in war, there is no murder. If you are fighting a war, it is okay to take life. Ideally, it's not the case, but that's, it's not considered murder. But... He took the Ten Commandments, you know, Facebook. Okay, that's fine. It was, it's out of context. Point is this, is that by faith, he charged into a combat environment. And if you've never been in a combat environment, it's frightening. If you've never had all the gear on, 
and heard weapon fire, and if you've never been in that situation, it, it's hard to describe it, to explain it, what's going on in you and around you. But I've always been on the bigger team in a battle. In a combat environment, when I was in South Korea, we always knew which way was north. You know why? All the missiles on the airbase were pointed north. <laughs> Seriously. Because for an air traffic controller, you need to know your cardinal directions to, a way, okay, which way is the tower pointing? In each airport, it's different. And, okay, which way is north? Oh, yep, the missile's pointed that way. So when September 11th happened, we went from playing to preparing into, we went into battle mode. We were ready to go to battle. There's no playing around, there's no joking around, it's just, we were ready. We were ready. Now, nothing happened, praise the Lord. But know this. If the North Koreans did this over the DMZ, we were gonna, this is what we said. We're going to turn North Korea into a parking lot. That's just the way we were trained. Because when you go to battle, you're going, hey, are we going to lose? You know, no, no, we're going to win. You train to win. And see, that's the thing with God is, look, you're on, if you're on God's side, you win. But we have to stay on his team. Because we're the ones who leave and, and just get bored or get selfish and we go AWOL. But God called Gideon to do something. And finally, Gideon's like, God's going to do it. Regardless of what he sees or feels. He just This is where he got it. I'm going to trust God. And you know what? I've seen this in people's lives. Where that amazingly in salvation when somebody chooses, look, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to trust Him. It's amazing to me. Because people's eyes, the, the eyes of understanding become opened, that they're, that they're a hell-deserving sinner. And that God has extended the hand, the lifeline, to save them. Amen. It's amazing. But not just that, but that after salvation that God is with them and will fight for them that, hey, there might be financial baggage, there might be, you know, family baggage, there might be all kinds of other, you know, mentality, emotions, just all kinds of other baggage. But you know what? We all have that. Yes. But when we realize by faith God loves me and he stoops so low, May we keep that tender and teachable spirit, right? But by faith, regardless of what you're going through, God can be with you if you want. If I want, if we want, God can be with us. And you know what? When a heart realizes this, don't fall over. <laughs> it cannot help but cause us to worship. It causes us to worship. Because we just... God is so good. Amen. 
Where would you be? Where would I be without God? Who would you be? Who would I be? Where would we be? Where would we be going? God is so good. He worshiped in the midst of the enemy. And then he's fully persuaded because he says here in verse uh, 15, so he worshiped and he returned to the host of Israel and said, arise, get up, let's go. So it says here in, in verse uh, in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, it came to pass the same night the Lord said unto him, what? Arise. Go. But if thou fear, which he did, but it was just enough, that last little bit of push to go from 9 to 15. Now he's telling everybody else, get up, let's go. God said this to another man who when in Acts 9, his, uh, I believe his name is Ananias, he's a preacher, arise and go and see a man. His name's Saul. And Ananias is like, uh, God, are you sure? Because he's a great persecutor of the saints. But he said, I'll go. And you know what? He did. He arose. To arise means to get up and go. To do something. To not just sit and rest on your laurels. There's something that God has called each and every one of us to do. Fully persuading. So the effect upon Gideon is drastic. It completely changes his outlook. And a Christian who lives by faith it's obvious. And for a Christian who does not, it is obvious. A Christian who does not live by faith, you can tell by what they say, how they talk, where they go. It's obvious. But a Christian who lives by faith, you almost can't tell that they just, they, they had a terrible week. That, or there was a battle last night in their mind. Maybe there's great temptation. Maybe there is a, a great battle of where God has you in your life. And you know, you just, or maybe, you know, there's a loved one that, you know, either, I can only imagine what uh, Jessica Fitzgerald is feeling. You know, there's, there's battles, but by faith, we can turn to God and say, God, help. Help. And he will help. Gideon is learning that there's a state of panic in the enemy and that he had a further certainty that God was with him. His simple faith and adoring gratitude threw him at once upon his knees to thank God and to cast himself anew upon God's strength and to undoubtingly trust him. His hands were indeed strengthened and he lost not a moment in returning to the 300. Because in verse 11, God had said, Thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward, thine hand shall be strengthened to go down. So what, does, what do you need for your hands to be strengthened? To be a fura. To have that 
that attitude by faith, look, I don't understand, but God, God's going to do it. That regardless of how you feel, God, I'm going to trust you. Several years ago, in closing, there was a televised circus act where that a trainer goes into the cage with two Bengal tigers. Now, these aren't bobcats. A bobcat's about 30, 40 pounds. Bengal tiger's about seven, 800 pounds. That's a big kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. Not, not no lap cat, okay? So two Bengal tigers are in this cage, and this, the act is supposed to be that the trainer with a chair, you know, where they, they take the chair, you know, I don't know how they do it, you know, like, ah, they got the whip in the other hand, right? It's all for show. And you know, they crack the whip. Well, the lights go out. So for 20 or 30 seconds, this trainer knows that he can't see the tigers. But he knows they can see him. What do you do? He's, you run, you're in the cage. Where do you run to? He, yeah, the opening. No, it's closed and ain't no one can get to it because the lights are out. So he said this. He said, I knew that I couldn't see them, but they could see me. So he just acted as though he could still see them. So he had the chair and the whip by faith. He just acted, at, I mean, as though the lights were on. And when the lights came on, the tigers were right where that they should be. Because they didn't know that he couldn't see them. Whatever you come in contact or whatever obstacle you face... This week, this month, this year, your life, whatever, just know that you might not be able to see, but God can. And by faith, you can overcome that obstacle. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It's not something that we do, it's just we're accessing the victory which Christ has already made possible. And there's a, there's a good book by Charles Trumbull. And it's, uh, uh, it's about um, victory of our faith. And uh, it's amazing how we can act as though we've lost. And go through our week and our days, our, our life, as though we've lost. No matter what happens... We can act as though we won. It's just by faith. Yeah. And this is something that God is teaching Gideon. And you know what's neat? Did, did he get it? Yes. He did. How about you? Have you gotten it? Have you understood that by faith that you can say to this mountain, be moved and it will? Mountain moving faith. We sing the song. Lord, give me mountain moving faith. Well, you know what it is? It's got to be desired. It's got to be, and it's, and it's just something that we decide to do. Lord, increase my faith. Well, it's, your, it's up to you. It's up to me. Are you going to trust him or not? All right, would you stand with me?
Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you may perform it, maybe, will perform it unto the day of Christ. I praise the Lord for confidence in Christ, even when I don't feel like it. Even when I'm in pain or maybe you don't sleep a, a, a night or two or more. You know, we can be confident that Christ will help us. Amen. All right, so if you want to talk, if there's any questions that you have, please let me know. I'd love to be able to share with you or just show you, answer questions. Because if, if you're not having victory in your life, God wants to give it to you, especially in his salvation. All right? Remember our service tonight at 6 o'clock, and uh, we'll continue our series on uh, finances. And uh, this next one is uh, impulse, self-control. This is where uh, I, I, it, it, it's hard for me. I don't like preaching it because then the kids will say, didn't you say something like that? Maybe. Yes. So, but God is good. He wants to give us the desires of our heart, but may we be under his control. Brother Ralph, would you close us in prayer, please?